Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to Kunefa and Shay, a podcast produced for HowlRound Theatre Commons, a free and open platform for theatre makers worldwide. Kunefa and Shay discusses and analyzes contemporary and historical Middle Eastern and North African, or MENA, theatre from across the region. I'm Marina. And I'm Nabra. And we're your hosts. Our name, Kunefa and Shay, invites you into the discussion in the best way we know how, with complex and delicious sweets like Kunefa and perfectly warm tea, or in Arabic, Shay. Kunefa and Shay is a place to share experiences, ideas, and sometimes to engage with our differences. In each country in the Arab world, you'll find Kunefa made differently. In that way, we also lean into the diversity, complexity, and robust flavors of Mina theater. We bring our own perspectives, research, and special guests in order to start a dialogue and encourage further learning and discussion. In our second season, we highlight U.S. MENA theater makers with an impact nationally and internationally. This season outlines the state of MENA theater today through the lens of multi-generational and multidisciplinary artists. Yella, grab your tea. The Shea is just right. In this episode, we are talking about a type of theater I love, site-specific theater. Site-specific performances have the possibility to truly make all the world a stage. To produce site-specific and devised theater performances in the United States and abroad, artists must engage with the questions of the politics of any space, what communities inhabit or use it, and who is invited into it. Sahar Asaf, a Lebanese theater maker and the new artistic director of Cold and Thread Productions, and Zainad Dakkosh, an actor, director, and founder of Catharsis Lebanese Center for Drama Therapy, come together to talk about site-specific and devised theater pieces in Lebanon, the rest of the MENA world, and the United States. Before we get begin, let's introduce our guests. Sahar is a Lebanese theater maker and currently the executive artistic director of Golden Thread Productions in San Francisco, the first theater company in the U.S. devoted to the Middle East. She's presented works in Syria, Egypt, Morocco, Belgium, London, Sweden, Poland, Greece, Chicago, and NYC. At the American University of Beirut, where she headed the minor program in theater arts and was an assistant professor, she co-founded the Theater Initiative with her longtime collaborator playwright, Robert Myers, which was an interdisciplinary group of faculty and artists working to facilitate theater creation and research locally, regionally, and internationally. Her directing credits for the theater initiative include Garcia Lorca's Blood Wedding as a site-specific promenade performance, Shakespeare's King Lear, which was the first production of a Shakespearean play in Lebanese colloquial Arabic, The Rape and Rituals of Signs and Transformations by Sadala Wainous, and Watch Your Step, Beirut Heritage Walking Tour, a site-specific devised work on the Lebanese Civil War. Sahar is a strong advocate of documentary theater, she conceived and directed Min El Faten, an immersive documentary play on sexual assault in Lebanon as part of the Abad Mina campaign of 2018, and No Demand, No Supply, a documentary play about sex trafficking and prostitution. Sahar is a recipient of the Fulbright Scholarship and holds an MA in Theater Studies from Central Washington University and an MA in Sociology from the American University of Beirut. She's an alumna of Lincoln Center Theater Directors Lab in New York and Directors Lab North in Toronto, and she's the co-founder and artistic director of Directors Lab Mediterranean. 
Zainab Dakash, through the organization she founded in 2007, Catharsis Lebanese Center for Drama Therapy, brought the innovative tools of drama therapy to Lebanon. In 2009, she produced the theater production 12 Angry Lebanese with inmates of Rumia prison. This pioneering production, as well as the documentary that emerged from the process, received international acclaim and led to the implementation of the reduction of sentences for good behavior. In 2012, she created the play Shahrazad in Babda with women inmates of Babda prison, where they shared their personal stories in an attempt to heal their wounds and hold up a mirror to Lebanese society about the oppression of women. Her second feature documentary, Shahrazad's Diary, won 10 international awards. She also produced and directed plays with several disadvantaged population that lobbied for policy change, such as migrant domestic workers, uh, in Shebek Lebek in 2014, and with residents in psychiatric hospitals with From the Bottom of My Brain in 2013, for which she also collaborated with Sahar Asaf. In 2016, she directed the play Jahwar Up in the Air that conveyed the messages of the mentally ill inmates and those sentenced to life to decision makers. Moreover, she offered individual therapy at her private practice clinic to increase productivity and communication skills. She teaches drama therapy at several universities in Lebanon and in the region. She is the recipient of many awards given for her distinguished contributions to the field of social initiatives and services. Sahar and Zena, we are so excited to have you both with us. Uh, Zena, as I mentioned to you before, we actually had an episode last season where we talked about your wonderful work. Um, and so it's especially exciting to have you to talk about that. And Sahar, it's been so great to get to meet you. And so we're just really excited to have you both in conversation today. Thank you so much. Um, our first question for you is, in working on location or in communities, what do you find your responsibility to the surrounding community and the land itself to be? Tabiala, I'll start. So when working in a community, uh, Marina, first of all, when I when I work within a community, whether it's inmates inside prisons, uh, refugees, uh, you name it, I don't know, migrant domestic workers, the the res- the main main responsibility is to 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 be listening well to their needs because whichever work I'm doing, whether it's uh, you know the drama therapy work or the play to be produced later on has to properly reflect what they want to convey in this theater play. And definitely as a therapist, you're there listening to their needs, to their whatever, sufferance, happiness, uh, good moments, bad moments, the needs, the you know, making meaning and things like that. So, uh, and that's what I think is the main responsibility, especially when I reach the, the theater production, is like, am I true to what they wanted to convey? Uh, is this play true to what they want to say is even the scenography similar to what they want to convey is the dramaturgy the the text i've helped them you know devise the songs we've worked together and this is i think this is the main main thing thank you that's such a wonderful way to start that conversation um as you are working with people to make sure that if you're really honoring their words and what they're bringing to the table has that gotten difficult in situations where you're working with either organizations or structures that might um, put different pressures on you to sort of shape the story? 
most of the productions, theater productions or films produced that I have directed were produced by the NGO founded in 2007, Catharsis. So Catharsis Lebanese Center for Drama Therapy would be implementing such projects, etc., etc. However, interesting when you ask this, I remember once there is another NGO who calls us and says, um, would you collaborate on producing a theater play definitely uh, as a result of drama therapy sessions that we would implement as catharsis with them? Um, and it was for a certain population. It was migrant domestic workers also. And uh, I said, yeah, why not? Then they said, but w- w- the text, we want this text. And I said, which text? And I said, oh, we found this play and we want like this. I said, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I don't work this way, you know. The way I do work is to help these people convey their messages. And they need to do the text and they need to, you know, approve it. And I said, does the migrant domestic worker uh, approve the text you want them to do? They said, no, we didn't take that opinion. And I said, I'm sorry, I can't do this. Would you first ask them their opinion and see if they want it? And they were really, you know, like um, very um, uh, sure about it. They don't want to take anyone's opinion. This is how they see it. And I said, no. I mean, and it's so great. You have the working structure that really is honoring the people that you're choosing to work with and essentially saying no to other styles that aren't allowing such a um, a humane com- community-centered approach. Um, which is really beautiful. Yeah, because Marina, you know, one thing that is bad, I mean, it's so great to see, especially in Lebanon, uh, there's so many NGOs at the moment and since ever, because, you know, the government is uh, oblivious. They are not here. They care less about whatever is happening uh, in Lebanon. So our government is not here and all the NGOs come, you know, to, to replace the government in a way, to take their role, to do to do things, to, you know, and there are so many NGOs receiving fundings, doing things and things. And you, there are some who reach a, a certain uh, point where it's like, let's do things. We have money. Let's do it. It's not about doing, guys. And it's not about any text, especially if you're going to do therapy and theater. Be very, There's so much ethics in it, you know. It's not just, oh, we did a play, they had fun, and let them be... Uh, uh, I mean, that's my personal view. So that was really, uh, it disturbed me back then when they said, it's either this text or we lose the funding. And I said, who cares about your funding, guys? It's not about the funding. It's about these people, what they want to say. You're offering them a platform. Definitely. I love that. Yeah. Well, Sahar, do you want to, do you want to jump in? Yeah, sure. Um, I think this is a very good question. And my my um, my approach to, to it is that actually, it, to, to begin with, like the kind of work I do, unlike Zena, is not driven usually by the community. So for Zena, for instance, she's working with micro, migrant workers or the inmates, and the play is really based on on their needs. In my case, I go to a location because it serves the, the play and the story that I'm trying to tell. So to give an example, we did um, 
part of the theater initiative at AUB. We did Blood Wedding, Garcia Lorca, right, which is a well-known classical play. And we, I decided to stage the play in, uh, in the village of Hamana in Mount Lebanon and to use actually the villagers' houses and the local church and the local, you know, the old cinema house and, you know, some streets in, 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 in a part of the village. So the location was selected based on what the story needed, which is a remote, you know, like remote area. So in that case, I'm going to the community with a with a play, with a story. So that kind of conversation is interesting because what I what I aim to do is to be super clear with the people. So I'm using the villagers' houses. They have to know what the play is about. They have access to the play if they'd like to read. They will know exactly how people will be coming into their houses, you know, um, how long they're going to be staying. Like we limit, it affects every aspect of the process. For instance, in in a normal situation, I would use maybe, I don't know, like say five hours to rehearse that scene. If I'm using a villager's houses, I don't have that. So I have maybe, I don't know, like half an hour to, to test things out and then rehearse somewhere else. And then, you know, um, and also one more thing I would say is to stay open. So there, this is at least have been my approach. So when I'm in a community, I'm open to whatever happenings are, are happening around me. So to give you another example, there was one scene in, in Blood Wedding where we're in a villager house and, you know, the audiences are in with actors and the scene is happening. And then there's supposed to be like a knock on the door and other group of actors should be coming in as the 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 mother of the of the groom she's coming into the bride's house and in one one time we had audiences in a knock on the door and then the owner of the house forgot that this is part of the show and she actually decided to just go and open the door and we play with that right so it's just staying open and respecting their space respecting their you know belongings and uh and be being clear with them um so, so yeah, uh, it's it's quite different, but I, I feel in, in other ways it is also similar. Uh, thank you for also kind of pointing out some of the ways in which um, you both do kind of site-specific work in, in two different manners of approaching it. Today, of course, we're, both of you do so much, so much work, and today we're really kind of focusing on site-specific and devised theater that you work on. And um, I'd love to hear more about how you find site-specific theater changing the place that it takes place in, um, kind of either actively changing the space. I think in some situations, you actually physically change those spaces in some way, or um, kind of changing the spirit of the space or, or, or adding to the creative placemaking of that space. Can you comment on how you think about the space itself as you're working in site-specific theater and the changes that you're making to it, either literally or in kind of a greater sense of what you're bringing with that art? Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think it's, um, when I'm working in site-specific, so as I said, like I pick a location based on what the story needs and how it serves the story. So there's a lot of research that goes into picking that space, right? Um, and then one thing I also always try to remember is that the space itself is a, becomes a character in the story, 
right, in this kind of work, insight specific. So I'll give an, another example. Uh, in, two, in 2019, I was commissioned to do a play, a documentary play by a Lebanese non-governmental organization called Abad. They were doing a campaign on a sexual assault in Lebanon and, and, you know, it was a national campaign and one aspect of the campaign was the play and they wanted uh, like a big scale kind of show. They wanted so many people to see the the show and they wanted interactive play and whatnot. And then I was given the, the material, which is two like two hour interviews with seven survivors um, and I obviously they had permission like to to give me the audios and all of this so I was listening to the interviews which will which was the the only kind of resource that I'm supposed to use like these are seven interviews with women I'm hearing their voices I, I will use that as part of a documentary slash interactive kind of show when I listened to the interviews I noticed that five out of the seven women are actually have been assaulted or raped by someone, either a, a family member or someone that's very close to home, so a neighbor. And I was like, the, this play needs to happen in a home, right? Like the location needs to be somewhere that looks extremely safe, but in fact, it's really not. So I ended up choosing, and, and that took some negotiations with the with the NGO and the company they were working with, because again, as like just to say, like I want an interactive show is not, you know, is sometimes is not applicable. It's not right, right? So I ended up actually creating a performance. It's it's scary also. It's scary. It makes people scared. Of course, of course. So what I actually did is I took a, a performance space in Beirut, which is actually a house. It's called Z- Zico House. That is like a three-story building, uh, old house. And I ended up using grooms in that house to create some, some sort of, a, you know, promenade slash museum kind of performance. So I located the stories, the seven stories I had, I had different interpretation to them. And I put each story in a room. And then the kind of the interaction, the interactive aspect of the show became like a map. So the audience would come in. It's silent. Like we don't say anything. There, there are no opening curtain speeches or whatnot. We give them a map. They know exactly like what is happening in each room. The scenes are happening on loop so that they come in and out as they wish. And then the map also has a disclaimer about the intensity of the show or like whatnot. But I intended to do this because I knew that people might not be able to take it. And I wanted to also respect the audiences coming to see the stories and give them the chance to decide how much they want to take in. Right. So many people, you know, with the map in hand, they would go into a room and then decide to leave leave the performance. That's it, enough for them. And many people decided to come in and in again. So in that case, I feel like it's important to remember that the the location itself is is a character in the play, right? It's not arbitrarily chosen. It's not like, oh, it's a beautiful location. Let's do a play here. It has to, to say something to the story that you're trying to tell and also to the style and the, yeah, the format of the show. I I fully uh, uh, not just agree with uh, Sahar, but I mean if if the location is is not a character of of what uh, what this show wants to convey or wants to say, you know, whatever, 
then there would be something missing. Uh, I'm, I'm even perhaps more Catholic about it. How would you say that? So let's say if I want to do a play with inmates, uh, it has to be somewhere uh, in their space. Huh? If I'm doing a play uh, uh, with the refugees, I would not, you know, yeah, let's take them to the opera house and let them act. No, uh, they they don't live in the opera house. They don't live not even in a in a quartier, you know, how do you say it, in a street nearby, you know. They live uh, uh, much uh, further than that. Um I mean, myself, I, it's not just the location. It's also, you'd go to the scenography you're put in. So, for example, in, in the prison, the male prison in Lebanon, Rumi, where we've done two uh, two shows already, uh, the, the to reach the, the space where there is, you know, the show, you have to walk a lot inside these buildings. Not you don't go inside, but you walk between the buildings. So you're seeing the whole buildings. You're, you know, walking, walking. So it's as if uh, the show starts uh, even before. Huh? You're you're being searched by all these uh, policemen. And, uh, and it, this is part of, of uh, entering a prison, you know. And then once they reach the space, because we had... Uh, uh, a space in each building, one building got burned, so we moved to another building, but the first show one was in a different building. So um, inside this building, you have to walk inside, then you reach the space. And my first decision for, for this play, 12 Angry Lebanese, I I put them as, um, you know, the Colosseo uh, in, uh, in Italy, where they used to throw the, you know, the, the, the lions and... Uh, and there is this man fighting there. You know, I can't remember the film, but it's uh, it's the same. So people would sit in a Colosseo uh, setting and the actors are in the middle. So it, it brings more this effect. So you want to see the inmates? This is what you're coming to see, you know? So now see these actors, these lions, these people you have to lock up, you know? It was a choice uh, I made in the beginning. Then in the other play, Shahrazad's Diary, same. It's a smaller building. It's the women, women's prison. And Sahar also was part of this this show, the preparation for it. And my decision there was, let's let's do it differently. Let's do the whole contrary. They are surrounding the spectators because these women with their strength and they decided to dance flamenco, you know. So we were, you know, entrapped in this force, in this, uh, in this energy. These women wanted to 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 convey, you know, their voices, their loud voices, their hormones. Their, uh, it's, they are totally different from these men. Uh, it's uh, you, 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 you see what's the energy, and also adapt the, not just the space, the the whole scenography for it. Voila. And there are some shows where you don't have the choice, uh, for example, to bring people somewhere and you might just, you know, go to and rent the classical theater and do it there. And to go a, a step deeper, perhaps, um, of course, this the space, you've both talked about how the space is giving so much to the production, that it's a character in itself. It's integral, really, to the storytelling in so many ways. Is there a reciprocal relationship? Um, are you? Do you see yourself giving back to the space in some way, improving it or adding to it? How do you see 
uh, the other side of it, what you're giving back in that relationship? I, I can try and answering uh, and answer that question. I think it's a it's a lovely question, and um, and I can use the example of a site specific work that I did back in 2014 about the the civil war in Lebanon. It was this really the drive for that show was, you know, trying to remember the civil war because. As you probably know, like in Lebanon, we never really had a proper reconciliation process. And we feel like in many ways, the civil war is continuing, you know, even today. It supposedly ended in 1990. So I, I wanted to do a show about that. And I started collecting like material. There was some aspect of the show that was written, but, you know, many, many other pieces in that show were based on on, on like real narratives of people who lived the war. And I wanted a personal like humanitarian approach to it. I did not want to like to have any um, political statement per se in the show because I knew like that I wanted like just to have it passed by censorship office without problems. It was part of my work at the university and I was working with students and I was, I had like a very limited kind of time frame for the show. I, so I, so I wanted to make it as, you know, doable, but also because like I'm very much interested in personal testimony. So anyway, I did the show in an area called Khanda al Ghami in Lebanon, which is like five minute walking distance to downtown Beirut. And that show, as I said, 2014, even then, the the like there, there's an entire block in that area that's completely abandoned since the war. It used to be a demarcation line between East and West Beirut. So there's an entire block that completely is abandoned. There's like the war, the traces of the war, you can see it on the facade of the buildings, whereas like you walk five minutes down to to downtown Beirut and it's like you're in Italy or you know Spain or or whatnot so completely renovated in in a, in a fake atmosphere that really doesn't look like Lebanon but that's a different story so um so that I, I feel like in a way so we took I took the audiences in buses from the the university to the location and then at the location they will they were received by like two guides and the guides would take them on a fake architectural tour in the area and as they're doing this architectural tour they're looking at like broken like as a destroyed church for instance but the guide is narrating something else that the guide is telling them about how in like the the beauty of the church and how it looked like basically in before the war in say 1965 and then something would happen along the route, right? So they will go into buildings. They will go into also like 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 local community members. There was a stop at the house where we we would meet uh, a couple, older couple, and they would tell us their love story and then what they did during the war and whatnot. So I feel like part of that work, like what if I want to think of it in terms of what we gave that space today, I look back and I feel like. We have it. We have it captured as a record on film because we actually filmed the the performance. Because there's a big chance that it's gonna be the like the essence of that space is gonna be completely destroyed. There's a uh, the Beirut Digital District is moving into the area. They're renovating stuff. You know, it's an like really it's a it's a it's part of historic Beirut that. If we lose, like we lost downtown, it might be, you know, it's only going to live in our memories. And I feel like that performance, bringing the audiences there, having them experience on foot, 
this the location one aspect of what we gave back is that it's a tangible recorded memory of that space but also the the Khanda al Ghami in Beirut is an area that to just put it simply people feel like it's dangerous to go there because you never know what's going to happen to you and taking the audiences there and having them walk with the guides in the area and meeting people from the area actually going into their houses, right? Having coffee with them. It, it was part of the performance. I feel like that's something that's very important. And then just to also give another example, towards the end of that scene, the audiences are taken into an empty like construction site and they are left alone to go back to their buses. So they even that they we had them experience in the show. So I feel that's that that's how you you break stereotypes. That's how theater can help you break stereotypes physically on foot, right? So they they could experience that. Yeah, I can come here and it's actually lovely. It's actually you know people are similar in many ways. They're different in many ways. They're similar in many ways. So it's like everywhere really, um, and and you know and also remembering like. The, the the civil war and what was happening at that line and how you know how people survived so i feel like that's that's things i could say that the play you know i wish you know i i'm hoping right had given back um to that space myself i'm not sure how to answer the question how do i give back to the location I mean, Zina, I can speak as an audience member who came to see Shahrazad in in the prison or even before, because Shahrazad, as you said, like I was involved in the early phase of the project with you as a, uh, you know, um, uh, creator. But uh, I I remember when I went, when I first went to see uh, 12 Angry Lebanese in Rumi prison, I mean, it... I have never imagined that I would set foot in the prison. I mean, I would hear stories about how the prison looked like or whatnot, but to actually go, there was so much, you know, I can't even describe the feeling, like anticipation maybe about what is it going to be like to just be inside that prison, notorious prison, right? And with all these criminals, like between parentheses or... And then having to go in there and sit in the audience. I, I was crying in that show for many reasons, but one main reason because it's it kind of it puts in your face how judgmental we can be as a society, right? When you have it, it, it was so powerful, Zena. It was so powerful. I can't, I, you know, one of the best shows in my life as an audience member to experience, really. Just the fact that bringing the audiences inside. A location that supposedly, oh, we have nothing to do with it. And then putting you in there, having you listen to the stories and then realizing that we have everything to do with with these people being here. Everyone is responsible. So I think that that's a that's how um, that's how you're giving to the space. And and if, if I may add, Yannick Amena. By by also uh, um, keeping the audience after the show for this Q&A, you're obliged. I mean, in a way, we don't oblige no one, but you know from the beginning that we're going to lock the doors once the show is done 
unless you really want to leave, you can leave. If not, you are locked in this space to stay there for a, for further discussion, for reactions, for and this was meant mainly uh, for the decision makers because they are also invited, the governmental figures, everyone, MPs, uh, ministers, blah, blah, blah. So uh, they have to say, they have to have a word, they have to commit, and they need to, you know, listen further to these people, to 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 the to these persons. Huh? Yeah. Well, and I mean, your work, both of your work, is putting people in different places where they might never have been, as Sahar was saying, and and might feel like they have nothing to do with, um, but really helping them see the work and the people and the place in a whole new light. Um, and Zena, when Nebra and I watched, uh, we've watched pieces of all of the, all of the, um, at least three of the your works in prisons. And I mean, we had very emotional responses too. So the the videotaping that you've both done of the work is also something that reaches audiences in new ways and takes sort of the site beyond that specific location to to us, which I'm so grateful for. Continuing on, I think in sort of the same vein that we've been talking about, where a lot of the work that you've been doing is both subversive and political in different ways. Um, in the MENA world, and I mean, I think in all theater worlds, there are barriers to putting on theatrical work. And site-specific work can be a way to overcome or subvert those barriers in different way. Um, can you talk about when and why you've chosen to do some of the specific pieces that you've done? And I know you've also done a piece together, or several actually, it seems. Um, and so maybe that's something that we can bring up here too. Uh, my story, especially, and it started in 2006 when uh, we were all uh, locked up in a way. We were all prisoners during the July war with Israel. So there was the war between Lebanon and Israel. It was 2006 and life stopped and it was... Uh, uh, a huge trauma for all Lebanese, uh, a lot of deaths, a lot of losses with no real deep meaning, you know, and everything in a month. Yani Sahar also remembers well, it was, you You might sleep, wake up on more deaths, on more tragedy that we cannot get out also from the country. We cannot save others because all the roads were uh, blown away. Um, I I remember that from my house even to the supermarket I couldn't reach it anymore because the the bridge was bombarded and definitely everyone had his trip back then and my own trip was so I'm Lebanese I can't even help another Lebanese because I can't even reach him I'm locked I'm in this pajama for a month I feel helpless and it all led me to 1999 when I went and worked inside a prison. I was still a student at the university and I went as an intern to Italy to, you know, just assist a theater director called Armando Punzo, who does theater inside prisons. And I don't know why, you know, it was in the in my unconscious mind. I, I never really remembered it again. I, it wasn't a dream. It wasn't something I was working on, but... I was like, I don't know why. I said, oh my God, prisoners. What what would prisoners be feeling at this moment? Because I felt I'm a prisoner myself, you know, oppressed um, and everything. And I said, oh, I'm here sitting in my pajama. I feel I'm a prisoner myself. If I am feeling I'm a prisoner myself, how would these inmates who are 
inside these prisons so definitely they were the last on the agenda in a in a in a country dealing with war etc etc and i said okay as soon as this war is over i'm going to do theater inside these prisons it came i i can't explain it further it came while i was in the same pajama for 30 days <laughs> And as soon as the war was over, craziest uh, thing that I go to the decision makers and I say, I know you're busy dealing with many things in this country, but how about doing theater inside prisons? And I was receiving especially, definitely a no. And they called me, you're crazy. Do you see where the country is heading? Do you see what we... I said, yes. And it's because I saw this and I felt with these inmates much more than ever. I want to go inside and do therapy. And voila, it took a year and a half to build this whole thing, receiving no's again and again and again and again. And if you tell me what was my motivation back then, I can't tell you. Because now, if you tell me do it again, I'd say I, I'd be crazy to do what I've done in 2007 and 2008. Um, voila. And it's only when I went inside and discovered what they want to say and the whole oppression around prisons in Lebanon that I understood the, the, the deeper meaning of this, these visits that I was doing. I never knew anything about our penal code. It was a total discovery. I never knew that we had no reduction of sentences for good behavior. I didn't know before putting foot there uh, that it was so overcrowded, and you see it in your eyes that it was so overcrowded, and you just keep on discovering. And for me, I mean, this is Lebanon. You want to know Lebanon? Go inside its prisons. And uh, voila, I said, if we can start doing something there, Perhaps we can start changing the penal code. And this is what happened later on. We had the reduction of sentences after 12 angry Lebanese. Then uh, Shahrazad Mbabda uh, uh, helped a lot in having the, the law for protection from domestic violence that wasn't presented by Catharsis at all. It was presented by another NGO called Kafa. And uh, many NGOs were working on it, but we made sure to have every single decision maker come to prison and watch this play uh, and sign this draft law. And it happened in 2014. And voila, uh, this is how... But you tell me, like, Zaina, you had this project, you had this... uh, Why did you choose to do this site-specific work back then? I had no idea where it's going to lead me. I didn't know even that inmates in Lebanon are not allowed to go out and perform inside a theater, you know. I was so naive. I said, oh, let's do theater inside and maybe, you know, we'll take them in a bus to Theater El Medina and uh, people would come and watch them in this, uh, just like in Italy, because in Italy they go out and they perform outside. It all came on the ground, huh? And I loved it. I mean, after the first uh, project that was 12 Angry Lebanese, I said, oh, my God, it has to be very site-specific. It has all the the other uh, plays I would do would be not the copy-paste of what happened, but should be in a similar format because the first format was was it just worked for them, for us, for the audience, for the decision-makers. So, wow. Voila. Yeah, it's interesting to think about 
also in some situations site-specific theater is a necessity it has to be in the that space uh it's not always a choice which is absolutely important to remember Sahar, do you have anything to add? It's, uh, I mean, m my barriers are less interesting than Zaina's barriers. Uh, just to say, to say it, I, I feel like, yeah. And I, I, looking back, I feel in some situations the lack, for instance, of in, like theatrical or theater infrastructure at the American University of Beirut, where I was working and producing, you know, the, the majority of my shows led me in many ways to think site-specific, led me to like like that kind of route. Um, there's like in, in the story that Zaina shared, I feel there's some magic there. And I, I use this word for the lack of a better, for finding a better word. But I remember like the play we, we did in Khanda al-Ghami, speaking about barriers. I had to take around seven permissions from different offices and entities like the antiquity because there was a site that we were using that had a, a like a, a note from antiquity on it um the the municipality of beirut the censorship office like the police department so all these and and it for some reason again like we were able to achieve all these permissions in less than a month and looking back i was like how did that happen i don't know of course, we had to take permissions from owners of the locations who don't live there anymore and who I found in, in really like weird serendipitous or weird coincidences, really. But in general, I feel like, yes, the lack of infrastructure forced me to think in a way, pushed me to think outside of the box. So in, I, again, and to give another example, in 2016, um, 20, yeah, 26, 2015, 2016, the American University of Beirut was celebrating its 150th anniversary. And I wanted to, to do something on the occasion. And I was like, what is it that I'm, you know, I'm looking for really the subject matter of the performance. And I remembered and I thought about the workers, the janitors basically at UB, because I felt like we were celebrating everyone, you know, from women. I did myself a celebration, like a reenactment of speeches by women who, you know, early feminist 20 you know 1920s or whatnot and there was people were celebrating uh, students and professors and buildings and you know everything but I was like okay where's where are we celebrating the janitor so I, I decided to do that and I was obviously I started by interviewing the workers because that's I don't have material other than that so I, I knew that the show will be a documentary, will have a documentary process. It will be based on verbatim interviews with the workers, the janitors, but I didn't know how it's going to, where it's going to happen. I was thinking maybe we'll just put their stories in one of the auditoriums on campus. And then when, during the process, I was realizing that that would be really inappropriate. It's not, it won't feel, it won't feel authentic. And I decided that the performance is going to be a day in the life of the janitors so audiences would arrive we check them in at the location where the janitors check in we give them outfit right they put on the outfit and then we give them the tools and we're like on your way you know this is going to be your your hour and a half on campus and then they go like there's a scene that happens in a bathroom while the audiences are cleaning bathrooms you might think it's crazy but it, people play along it's lovely how people play along and as they're doing that they are encountering 
different aspects of the janitor's life. So they're learning about their dreams. They're learning about their families, about their aspirations. The, 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 the performance had a, a very technical aspect to it. You really were teaching you the job. So we're teaching you how to clean a bathroom. We're teaching you how what chemicals to use, whatnot. But then actually we're also telling you that this person here his dream is to become a singer. This person here writes poetry. This person here has a family. Her husband has cancer. She had to work to like, you know, and so on and so on. So, so yes, the barriers do push you to think in site-specific terms. But again, like if it doesn't serve the story, it's not worth it. Um, so I feel there's both of these things in it. Wow. I mean, it sounds like such a wonderful piece. And thank you for talking about the barriers, but also just really making sure that each piece is critical of, of why it's happening and where it's happening and how those things are, are speaking to each other. You both do so much and are artists in such full senses of the word. Um, but how would you describe yourself as an artist? Um, we definitely didn't sum up all of your work here today. What are other things that have defined or shaped your creative practice? You know, uh, Marina, at times I'm lost if I am an artist, if I am a therapist, if I am a policeman, if I am an activist, if I am... Uh, lately, for example, in Lebanon, uh, uh, in the Kiserwan area where I live, it's the region, uh, they wanted me also to, to, to go to uh, run for elections because the elections are coming. And I started laughing because uh, uh, I'm not sure anymore if what I started as a theater, uh, you know... Uh, Specifically, I want to do theater. Then came the drama therapy. Then I said, okay, yalla, it's nice, you know, to do drama therapy. Then I said, okay, why not? Let's do some laws. And then, you know, you do some laws. You end up staying in the parliament with these uh, decision makers, doing other things, drinking coffee, talking about the sun and the weather for them to work and uh, pushing them and then you know you lobby for things how would i describe myself as an artist at times i i forget that i am an artist at times i do remember that i am an artist especially when i am in the stages of producing the play and this is the best thing i i love doing it but then again you tell me when you're drafting laws to change the panel code i would tell you oh my god i love doing this also and then you tell me, so when you when a draft law is done and you have lobbied and, oh my God, how I am happy to do it. I'm not sure. Uh, I And at times I miss one over the other, then I miss the other over one. And I'm a therapist, so I have this clinic and I do these individual drama therapy sessions. So perhaps to answer your question, all of these things do define and do shape my creative practice. Because if, if you tell me I'm doing only one of them, I tell you I might be totally dead, you know, dead of boredom. I mean, if I was just an artist calling myself, I'm an artist. If, if I was happy with that, I think I would have continued doing this without, you know, the whole therapeutic uh, self-revelatory performances and, uh, and the, the laws and the activism for the country. But also I'd say if I, I only what I want to do is draft laws and change laws, let me run for elections, which I'm not going to do now, you know, because I want to be an artist too. Uh, so perhaps my creative practice 
comes with a whole luggage of activism and things. And if it wasn't like this, I don't think I would call myself an artist, perhaps. Perhaps in a month I'd answer differently. I don't know. Sahar, go ahead. I love it, Zena. This is brilliant. I'm going to use your words, like, because me too, I honestly, I don't think of myself in terms of like, I'm, I'm an artist. I do think I'm a theater maker. Most of the days, I think I'm a theater maker. And I, what defines and, and shape my creative process as a theater maker is actually the, the part of the, the, the history and the journey that I had to embark on to be a theater maker. I, I grew up in a conservative society and, and my father, bless his soul, wasn't convinced that acting is a prop, like decent and proper and career for a, for a woman. So I ended up studying journalism and I enjoyed a lot the investigative reporting aspect of journalism. And then I was lost for some time to put a long story short. So I ended up studying journal, uh, sociology as a master degree. And then I went on and, and worked in these fields for like some time before I came back to study theater. I was doing theater all along, right? But I wanted to become really a professional. I was thinking only a degree would make me a professional because in Lebanon, like you get isolated a little bit if you don't, if you haven't studied, say, at least my feeling and my experience, if you haven't studied, at, especially the Lebanese University uh, theater, you would feel like a little isolated. And I was like, oh, I need to, to get myself a degree so that people could take me seriously. And then I did that. And I feel like there are residues today in my theater work from both journalism and sociology, which I love. And I, 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 I'm thankful for my father, really, to, to just say, no, don't do acting. Um, because it led me to this, like, really not a straightforward path to becoming a theater maker. So today, I'm mostly interested in documentary kind of theater work theater that is based on personal stories and personal histories. It really inspires me. It really drives me. And I feel like, oh, you know, these are, and I, the way I pick stories or like subject matters or people to interview is always driven by, uh, you know, uh, something that affects me, something that really moves me as a, as a human being, as a woman. Um, so that's, that's what I can say in, in response to that question. So wonderful. Brilliant answers from brilliant women. Oh, just so grateful to spend this time talking with both of you. Thank you so much for sharing this time and space with us this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You both are so inspirational. Thank you so much. It's so lovely to, to finally be in this room with you. Thank you both for having us. And it's always great to be in the same space with Zaina, I have to say. Bahar, I miss you. I miss you too. Thank you, Nabra. Thank you, Marina. Thank you, Nabra and Marina. Thank you so much for having tea with us. This has been another episode of Kanefa and Shea. We're your hosts, Marina and Nebra. This podcast is produced as a contribution to HowlRound Theatre Commons. You can find more episodes of this series and other HowlRound podcasts in our feed on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. Be sure to search HowlRound Theatre Commons podcasts and subscribe to receive new episodes. If you loved this podcast, post a rating and write a review on those platforms. This helps other people find us. 
You can also find a transcript for this episode along with a lot of progressive and disruptive content on HowlRound.com. Have an idea for an exciting podcast, essay, or TV event the theater community needs to hear? Visit HowlRound.com and submit your ideas to the comments. We hope you tune in next time. Thank you for joining us on Quinefa and Shay. Yellow, bye. bye.